You've just entered the Disaster Tough podcast, the place for emergency managers, first responders, and humanitarians who want to get the job done. Stories, lessons, and tips are provided by field experts. I'm your host, John Scardina, owner of Doberman Emergency Management and former federal emergency response official who's responded to some of the most extreme disasters. Disaster Tough is our mantra. It combines experience, training, and analytics in order to be successful at any stage within the disaster life cycle. It means being a professional in emergency and disaster services. Doberman Emergency Management lives by this. If your organization needs to fill a gap, please contact us. We can help. Contact info is in the show notes. We also support other products and organizations that will increase your ability. For example, if you fight wildfires, hurricanes, a pandemic, any disaster in the field, at a hospital or command center, listen up. You're missing out if you do not use L3 Harris for your radio comms. They are secure, portable, mobile, and scalable, which is great news for us in the field. A truly disaster-tough radio system. Check out the XL family of radios by clicking on the show notes or simply go to L3Harris.com. The battle to monitor and contain COVID-19 just got exponentially better for us. We are officially introducing an electronic, reusable COVID-19 test through our sponsors. It's called COVID Plus Test, created by Tiger Tech, distributed by FS Global. This is the first FDA-authorized, rapid, non-invasive pre-screener. It's incredibly easy to use. Forget those one-time use swabs. This is a disaster-tough technology. For more information on COVID Plus Test, check out our show notes. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. Man, this is a great episode for several reasons. First of all, happy 4th of July. Happy Independence Day. We are, we're setting up in real time. It's pretty exciting. Uh, we have lots of good things happening. The world seems like it's on fire between what's happening in Surfside, what's happening literally like uh, what's been Canada. So we're going to be talking about different kinds of stuff. But most importantly, I want to talk about Todd DeVoe. He's officially back on the show. Todd DeVoe with EM Weekly. He has the EM Weekly brand, the EM Weekly podcast, all, all this kind of stuff. Todd, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, everybody got to see me uh, mess around with my microphone trying to get in the right position. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> You're, we're, like I said, we're real time. This is emergency management. This is real time emergency management. Absolutely. So, should we wait till later in the podcast to make this big announcement, or should we should we tease it, or should we just tell them now? What do you want to do? I think you just tease it. And I okay. think we should wait just <laughs> a little bit. Okay. Yeah. So we got a big announcement, everybody. We're pretty excited about it, but uh, yeah, we'll hold it off. Maybe like every three minutes, we'll just remind everybody there's a big announcement, and we just won't mention it. And we'll wait up like right. four or five episodes. Um. Okay. So, Surfside. Let's talk about Surfside real quick. Um, what I know, what you know, and we'll kind of go from there. Um, just for a reminder of our listeners, Walt, who was on our show, uh, Chief Walt Lewis, um, Joe Hernandez, USAR legend, um, and several of the students, participants from the Urban Search and Rescue Conference that I was with in May are actually responding to Surfside right now. So our hearts go out to them. They've been sending me all kinds of contacts. Joe's actually going to come on the show next week once the response is finished, and he's going to be talking about after actions. So we'll kind of hold off on that there. But um, they still have a hundred and what forty-ish people missing. Um, they've pulled out a nine deceased, um, but there is a, a sliver of hope. They still got a couple days if you know the 
Um, they happened to be getting food out of the refrigerator, as Joe was talking about. It came down on them, then they got the food, they got the pipes with the water. So hopefully they're they're in a, they're in a void. We hope uh, for their success. So there's that. Um, but Todd actually uh, mentioned um, something that I kind of saw. I looked at it briefly. He probably knows more about it. Talk about um, the 3D modeling that they're coming out with um, that you know about, Todd. Yeah, I mean, what I know about it is basically what's in the media, so I don't have any, like, super insights on it. But um, it's really interesting. And using one of the things that we're seeing in the future, and I say the future, today is the future, is the um, 3D modeling and then using um, artificial intelligence and augmented reality, uh, both in in the fire response um, and in... Uh, Obviously, you're seeing this here at Surfside. So, if, if you want to check out some really cool video and pictures, um, you know they're available on, online right now in, in a very simple publication. But the the part of it I want to talk about though is using technology today um, with um, in, in response. And so, I mean, I don't know if this is what they're using necessarily in in this particular um, instance, but we have the ability with smart cities, with smartphones, with our, you know, these things, I don't know, let's say what we always carry with me over there by their desk, um, our phones to, to triangulate people. Right. Um, and that is like, you know, we have apps, right. Uh, for instance, that are on your phone that talk to each other. Um, you know, uh, there's apps that you can put on your phone, you know, uh, on purpose, you know, for your children. Uh, to track where your kids are, your family members are, right? These things like this that, that exist. Um, we in, in first response and, and emergency management can actually use those to find people that are missing uh, mm. as long as they have their phone on them. And so I think that's really kind of a, a unique way of, of using this. And I don't know if they're using that, that technology because uh, what, I, what I found interesting was the fact that they tented a bunch of different locations on that 3D map uh, they didn't specifically say where they got that data from, but my guess would be probably from uh, cell phone data or other um, electronic devices that are putting up a signal. Yeah, that's um, it's really it's like almost like um, uh, in Batman where he uses uh, cell phone signals to like create like a three D image. But like the um, like so if if you're if you're really curious on that topic and the difference between like augmented reality versus like artificial intelligence. Um, I, I actually love the fact that you're like, hey, let's talk about tech because tech and emergency management, emergency services, like changes everything. And everybody knows that because like, you know, my, my experience with the drones. But um, yeah, if you take the, the listening devices and you're starting to do sonar and then you add infrared and you're doing um, like heat maps and you're doing point cloud, point cloud basically, for those who don't know, of like, you know, when you, you're like looking at an Xbox and you do like a hand gesture it's looking at all the different shapes that are associated with your hand. You're like, okay, like that's a, that's a, what a hand looks like. There's a hand gesture and that's the, the kind of stuff that's, that they're talking about is point cloud. Um, one thing that's really cool is the state of Texas got a grant to use uh, Google's point cloud. Google has, you know, if you look at the Google Earth, they have like the 3D images, right? So they have billions of shapes already identified. This is the shape of a shingle. This is the shape of a door handle. This is the shape of whatever. They're now using that in search and rescue drones for fields to look for specific shapes that look like body parts. So they're able to find deceased persons or maybe hopefully alive. So um, applying it to the, you know, the rural environment, to the urban environment, hopefully they're, they're able to find people. And they did, a, they did identify pockets where they could, they can guess where there's voids, right? Yeah, 
Yes, absolutely. And uh, like any other collapse, there's always going to be a void in the pocket. Uh, furniture yeah. or um, heavy-duty uh, equipment, such as like a freezer, refrigerator, uh, air conditioning units, things like that that can actually withstand the collapse, which can, uh, can create pockets. Now, yeah. you know, I, I want to stress this as well, because we all, all of us from California, uh, or not just California, but Oregon, Washington, and Alaska, and, you know, it's a country, if you will. Um, you know, there's always that rumor that, you know, don't go under your desk because there's going to be a pocket and you can live in the pocket. Well, uh, the idea here is if you go under your desk as well, most of the times these are going to be able to withstand uh, most of the stuff that's falling off the roof, right? So we, we still want that, you know, duck cover and hold on um, portion of, of the earthquake, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you, and that's the thing, is if you can't get underneath an item, right, then we say go against the wall or something that along, or bed along the bedside, something along to, to create those pockets. Um, and hopefully, um, you know, that's, that's what we're looking for, those void spaces. We teach that, like, through CERT, right? You know, in the CERT program, yeah. um, on the collapse and things like this. So, so yeah, absolutely, um, that that does work. Um, but, like I said, you, you really need to stress out that you need to, um, you, you know, you need to be, if it's, don't go, oh, there's going to be a void here because I'm by the refrigerator. Yeah, I wouldn't, yeah. Well, I wouldn't risk my life on that, uh, but uh, for sure, it's something that you more often, yeah, more often than not, if you're eating at one thirty in the morning, like when that came down, it's actually probably more life threatening than the the fear of uh that the, the fear of a building coming down. But it is insane to look at it. You watch the video, and I mean, you're talking about seconds. Uh, you know, if right. if the spine of the building goes away, and usually the spine is associated with the emergency stairwell, if that collapses everything else falls and that's exactly what happened. You see the, the one main column go down and then everything falls on top of it. And you're just, Oh man, it's just I, nuts. I want to talk a little bit about the pre uh, collapse, right? Yeah. And um, there's been a lot, I don't know. Again, this is the stuff I'm reading. This is all open source. I don't have any inside information. You can find all this stuff on various different news media outlets that are mm-hmm. out there. Doing some research. But evidently there's been some concern about these buildings since they were built basically. Yeah. Um, and then I guess a maintenance worker was taking photographs of some of the walkways and starting to see some of the uh, shifting in the concrete, um, reported it. And uh, I, don't, I don't know what happened when they reported it. But uh, this just kind of goes into um, things that we should be doing. If you're a, a, an emergency manager or risk manager for a facility or something like this, you, you have to start doing risk assessments. And, and of the building, assessments of the building. Um, there was a great uh, piece in Forbes magazine uh, this morning uh, talking about that, that fact that um, there are some real risks that are out there. And our infrastructure is, is older, right? Mm. I mean, think about think about some of the bridges that, that have collapsed. Just And it's, oh, out of nowhere. Well, no, these aren't out of nowhere. You know, they have a D and F rating um, on, on the infrastructure rating. And then they go deferred maintenance on it, right? We have multiple buildings that have deferred maintenance on them, uh, even in the government side of things. Oh, we'll, we'll maintain those later, defer it, defer it, defer it. And then all of a sudden the roof collapses or, uh, you know, we, we've seen this happen time and time again, right? But this really shows that we really need to be paying attention uh, to these risk assessments and, and what they say. Well, I was immediately thinking of, yeah, I mean, it, like hitting on all, on all persons there, like the, the the assess, assessment that's been done from Army Corps of Engineers that 90% of the dams in the U.S. do not have an evacuation plan for the base of those dams and that dams are only typically built 
um, to last 50 years. Every 50 years, there, there should be a major assessment done and, and expected repairs. And it was something like almost all, again, like 80% plus of, of dams and levees uh, are beyond that, that, that 50 years. But I don't hear major plans of, of uh, updating levees and, and dams. And here, even in Sacramento, it's the worst levee system in the United States because they have so many levees that are just crumbling. And uh, it like, makes you think, like, okay, like, this is what happens when you don't take care of the man-made stuff. Well, let me read this to you really quick. Um, this is Forbes magazine uh, as of this morning. It says, the lay-in assessment report that in 2018 that found major structural damage to the Florida condo that collapsed last Thursday is a wake-up call for business leaders to act quickly to help prevent crisis situations for their organization. While the cause of the building collapse is yet to be determined, bet uh, best crisis management practices to address any problems with the issue before they can spiral into a full-blown crisis. Don't wait to find out too late uh, what you should have done that could have prevented a disaster, scandal, or any other, other emergency. And I think this is a, this is definitely, I, I hate to say this because we say it, it, it seems like a broken record, right? When a crisis happens or, or along this line, oh, this is a wake-up call, this is a wake-up call, this is a wake-up call. You know, um, this is, again, it should not be a wake-up call. This should be like, oh yeah, this is something that we should be doing a long time ago. And 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 and, and I was teaching my class the other day, we're talking about the fact that there is a price. Unfortunately, we always say, oh, every every life is priceless. But um, insurance ledgers have put um, schedule I said should say have put a price on human beings. Absolutely, right? they do. And, yeah. And, right. And, and the thing is, is but is that price? much to pay. I, I, I think it is, right? And so we need to go through here and take a look at these buildings. we got to stop doing this for a minute. Yes, it's going to be costly, but just think of the lives and everything, what this has cost uh, um, the United States, what this has cost the, uh, the people that died, uh, the, the people that are missing, the families that are, are grieving. You know, it's the 4th of July weekend. They should be celebrating, and now they're grieving instead. And it's just could have just been done by proper maintenance, I, again, I'm, I'm talking a little out of turn here because um, I don't know what the cause is, but just from what, reading some of the stuff, it looks like a proper audit, proper maintenance, and and for the condo association to know that in 2018 found major structural damage to this building. Um, this could have been prevented. And I, I, I think we're going to see some lawsuits and whatnot come out of this. this. This is the problem with most people, right? And this is kind of a cultural thing, too, to be honest. Like, if somebody says, oh, there's major, um, you know, structural issues with this building, most people are going to respond with, but it hasn't fallen yet. <laughs> but they don't understand what they're, what they're saying when they say that. But what happens right. if it does fall? Um, one of the most heartbreaking stories for me is the, the family of seven that came in for the funeral of, for somebody else, and they were staying. So the funeral of one became <sighs> a funeral of eight. Yeah. Plus, like the family who's living there, so like there's there's a lot of that going on. Um, the the first responders on it are exhausted, right? I mean, I guess we're talking pre right now, but um, you know, there's there's a lot of m mitigation is like the key to success on so many different things, and um, you know, you the the really hard thing for an emergency manager if they're doing a, a very honest hazard vulnerability assessment, they do have to weigh the cost. 
sometimes saving a life is the most important. In fact, most of the time is saving the saving a life. But there are systems out there that if they go down, everything goes down. And so um, I, I I think of Fukushima, the the twenty one men that said, "Hey, we have to stay in. It's going to be it's it's it, we will likely die." Um, but oh, we're, they, they, it wasn't even like likely die. They knew they were going to die. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they they knew they were going to die by staying back, but they knew like how much worse it was if they didn't. And um, that's that's kind of what it is. But I'm I'm kind of tired of like first responders having to take an insane amount of risk because of the incompetence of others. It happens every day, man. I know, I know. I, but I'm saying like emergency managers should be able to bridge that gap, gap right? Um, so I don't know, but like how do you fix a system where people are designed to not do anything until something major happens? Like that's how we're built. And that's worldwide, though. That's not just here in the United States. Oh, yeah. Right? I'm, I'm done. The human race, whatever. Yeah. Like right. we look at problems and we're like, eh, is that really a priority? Emergency manager has to convince somebody else that it is a priority before it's actually a problem. And that's a very hard sell to do. You know what's funny? Is, and I'll give a personal example. Um, so I had to buy an iPad for my son the other day, right? Because um, he needed a new one. And it's for school, right? So it's not just it's not for games or anything like that. So, um, so we're like, all right, you know, I good deals going on, and so I'm like, okay, let's, let's buy it, right? And you know, after at the end of the day, oh, and I got a pair a pair of uh, uh, earpods, AirPods, or whatever they're called, those pros, right? The, the yeah. next generation up because they're only <laughs> ninety bucks. Right? Normally two hundred fifty bucks, I got it for ninety bucks. And um, so, long story short, you know, I'm dropping what six hundred and ninety nine dollars or whatever it is on on Apple Goods. Right, I mm. did the river on call. You know, then I go to the I go to Costco and I'm looking at a generator because I, I need a new generator or mm. I want a new generator at least. I'm like, oh, it's 550 bucks. Oh, that's a lot of money to spend. <laughs> you know, but I'm like, what new iPad? Do it, right? You know, generator. I do that oh, so man. much, man. Oh man, you know. That's at, what I, at the end of. <laughs> why do we do that? It's so messed up. My I did that with my I did that. So our business needs. Another computer. We we need a better, basically, for our podcast studio. And we we're operating on good stuff. We're obviously able to get the job done, but it's not really great. It makes some frustration stuff on the on the back end. And I was like, uh, like to get like a really really nice computer would be like twenty five hundred dollars, right? And my wife's like, yeah, that's great, but like you're spending eight hours on this and it's taking away from the business on that. And you're hiring somebody at, you know, this much and you're doing all this other stuff that's cost other stuff. But this is just like a one-time cost for the next five years. But I'm like, uh, right. but I'm spending that like daily on everything else. So I don't, I don't know, man. Well, you know, I mean, and to go back to buildings, right. We can bring it back to buildings. Um, yeah. Um, we're, we're talking about roofing, right. Mm. And um, so the other day uh, I was just, Roofing company in Orange County, California, called Ansys Roofing. Uh, they're not a sponsor, by the way. Um, they uh, a roofing uh, company is not a sponsor. Yeah, I knew. right. But he he's a uh, he's a big philanthropist, though, right? I mean, he's, mm. he's a, one of the largest roofing companies in Orange County. Um, he gives so much money back to the community. His name's uh, uh, Charles Anthes, and, and uh, he's a great guy, right? If you don't mm. follow him on LinkedIn, you should because he just does some really cool stuff. Anyway, long story short, we're just discussing roofs. Right. What do you, what do you talk to a roofer about? You talk about roofs, right? And, and you're saying like how people will, will, will skimp 
on a roof, right? Like they're gonna they're gonna buy a new roof and they go for the lowest bidder. And he says, so then you end up buying. So a roof should last a long time, mm. 30, 40 years somewhere. That's not like, but did they skimp on the roof and they buy a roof and it only lasts them 10, 15 years, right? So that means they're going to pay double the roof cost that they would have paid if they got the good roof the first time around. And then, you know, when it rains or whatever, the, you, know, you know, we're talking about last house standing. You had um, mm. George on the show. That's right. Uh, here I had him on, on, on Ian Weekly as well, talking about, um, you know, how that building was built and it was built about the roofs. And then on my other podcast, Prepare, Respond, Recover, we actually had a Fortified, which is an organization that, that tasks these homes. This is a really cool job. That's the job actually I want. I want this. It's you, you build a house inside of a, uh, like a structure and they have these huge fans on there and they blow the fans oh, out. Oh man, that'd be so much the, fun. The wind tunnels. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's like a wind. It, it creates a, a cat three hurricane. Yeah. Right. And, and so they throw things at these homes and the ones that have the, the, the fortified roof on there, which is a, a three more nails than you normally put in these homes stand. And the ones that go with one nail fall apart. So the roof is the most important structure on your house. Yet we skimp on that every single time uh, yeah. when you, when you're looking at, cause it's not sexy, right? No one's like, Ooh, you have a nice roof. You know, I don't know. I redid my roof and I was like, dang. That looks good. Uh, <laughs> when George, George actually shared that same stat with me about the nails, and I looked into it, and uh, I watched his documentary that talked about that too, and I was blown away by the level of effort it takes to fortify your home from a you know an F three tornado or a cat cat three whatever. Um, and it's just like looking at that. In fact, I was looking at the tornado side because we're moving to Missouri. And I was like, oh, man, like, what would it take? And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, they, they figured out it was something like they spent $300 more on materials, nails and whatever included on, on homes. They could withstand an F3 tornado. And you're like, okay, I understand that, that mul you multiply that over a subdivision. But still, you can easily build that into, the like, the, the, the cost of the home, like, uh, uh oh! Like here's my three hundred thousand, four hundred thousand dollar home. I guess it's now four hundred thousand and three hundred dollars. Yeah, I mean that's less expensive than the iPad I just bought myself. Just think about that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and your like house, and your house will that. You can you can have two iPads <laughs> for the cost of your freaking home. Yeah. Holy uh, cow! He, you know, speaking of this, I, I live in California, you know, you do too now for, for now, but um, we live in, in fire area and we think about that and we think about the heat that's happening uh, mm. today uh, throughout the Pacific Northwest, which also includes British Columbia, right? Uh, Canada and uh, oh, a village Canada. today. I actually yeah. think today is Canada Day, the day we're recording. Oh, it is Canada Day. Yes, it is. But I saw the so American my, flag, so suck it. So, so all my Canadian friends, happy Canada Day. Yeah, have, have uh, a Can Canada Day. And uh, on the Fourth of July, Happy Fourth of July! You guys could come. You could have joined us, by the way. They you know, could. Have, they could have had greatness. People always settle, they, man. <laughs> yeah, they. They. Uh, the Canadians were like, "Screw you!" Because there's all the French Canadians were like, "We're not going to fight with you guys because you just bought us." You know, so, if it makes you feel any better, the the French Canadians don't really like the Canadians either. So, you go to Montreal, that's like division. Look at my last name, Devoe. You're French. You're, are you French Canadian? Are you French? Yeah. French Canadian. French Canadian. Um, how many generations? Three. Okay. Nice. And then who came to the U.S.? Grandfather. 
So he was the smart one. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, with my family's up from upstate New York, you know, Saratoga area. Mm. Um, yeah. So, By the way, I love making fun of Can- uh, Canada because, like, there's actually nothing to dislike. It's like, it's beautiful up there. You're... Oh, is that the, is that a moose or a bear? Canadian Mountie. Mountain man. Bear. Um, I see him. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) I'm like, what? Okay. But I mean, okay, back to Canada, right? I mean, this is serious. This serious issue here. I mean, it's very sad, by the way. Um, I don't want to make light of it by any means. So they get the heat wave up there. It's 120 degrees, right? And I don't know what started it, but a fire starts in this town. And the brush fire burns 90% of the village. 90% of the village. So How many um, days ago was it, this? Yeah, today. Today, wow. Before, uh, yeah. Um, it says the um, Brad Vith, is the, is the Prime Minister, or no, no, Minister of Parliament, said the fire uh, had caused extensive damage to Leighton and British Columbia and the surrounding critical infrastructure. Uh, Jan Polderman, mayor of Layton, told the BBC that he had been lucky to get out of with his own life. And there won't be much left of Layton because there's fire everywhere. And the video is just very, it reminds me of, of, um, paradise, right? In Butte County. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, 120 degrees, then high temperatures. And, uh, Canada has recorded, uh, 486 deaths over the last five days compared to, the average of 165 Jeez. in normal days. So yeah, this heat's terrible. Um, and you think about and, a building collapse of 151 people. You think of heat waves, you know, killing people. Like people don't really ever think about. Like that was like one of the things I would have to like constantly remind people of. Like, like heat waves kill people, like straight up. And it's not like just like people playing in the sun for fun or like you know swimming. Like there's there's some real impacts there and. In Vancouver, the report that I was looking at um, just uh, from the other day was when it was one of eight eighteen, and they were complaining that even though they were on the river, most of them didn't have air conditioning, so they were having major problems with that. So, like, you know, things are changing. Things are changing, and it's causing a lot of problems for a lot of people. I, w- I want to share a picture if I can. Yeah. And yeah. So check this out. This is the, the picture on the left-hand side here, and I'll describe it for those that are listening to the podcast and not watching it. Uh, it's a very, it's like a fall, a sunny day, buildings up, Main Street, you know, looking there. The picture on the right-hand side is what happened after the fire. It's just complete devastation. It looks like a bomb went off and just knocked everything down. The trees are burnt. The, the building that was right there on the, on the right-hand side is completely gone. It's just, you wouldn't, it doesn't look like the same place. I mean, if it wasn't for that little walking uh, center there, I, I wouldn't have said that was the exact same place. You know, it's just amazing um, how that, uh, that looked. The, one of the ugliest fires or one of the ugliest disasters I've ever been to was um, in Napa. Uh, I don't know. Down South was pretty rough too, but Napa was insane. The coffee park. Uh, I've been to all kinds of disasters and it's a horrible watching people having to like, literally scrape nine feet of mud out of their home after a hurricane or a major flood. But I've never seen anything like that when up to that point, at least it was, it was like literally like, like you said, like a bomber and it was like a nuke. 
I thought I was walking into an apocalypse. Everything was white ash. Everything was gone. Engine blocks had melted. Like, how does an engine block melt? Like, an engine block melted and would look like like a silver river, dried silver river on the ground everywhere. Mm-hmm. And the most bizarre thing ever was as I'm walking down these streets, surveying data, and um, the National Guard was there sifting for um, for bones. Mm-hmm. Um before the the families got in there, there was one house that was totally fine. Yeah, it's amazing sometimes that happens. Well, I yeah. was I was asking why that why that happened, and apparently the homeowner, on his way out, took his sprinkler. Yeah, it was on a hose, and he just intuitively t- took it and threw it on top of his roof. And when he threw it on top of his roof, it you know wildfires burn top down, not left right. And so as the embers were hitting the roof, he had just put it out. So even though it was thousands of degrees around his house it was essentially unscathed it was it was it was it was like a video game it was, didn't make sense yeah i mean i've seen this too like uh, uh on the fires that i have responded to um throughout the years and one that i, I did the tedx talk on um was the uh blue cut fire and it, it's a, a burnt down a, a very famous uh, restaurant on route 66 and and same thing, you'd go through, and, and it's like the, the fire hopped and bounced over homes and burnt some down. Some were burnt completely. And uh, this one guy has two homes on the property. One he was renting out, and the other one was, was his, his dream home. It was a log cabin. Uh, the log cabin just burnt to the ground, and his, his other house that he had on the same property, uh, I mean, very, very bad smoke damage to it, obviously, but no no other damage to it. So, you know, yeah. it's, uh, it, it's just it's amazing how – how these things work. Mother nature is a, is a fickle uh, beast, right? You know, and um, I, I actually think if we're, we're, we're really the beast. Cause one of the problems are man-made cost. Like they're like we, we build systems and we don't think of the, you know, the impact. And then we're surprised when we're impacted by it. Like, well, there's a movement right now, right. That's out there. And, and, and uh, it's the idea that there's no such thing as a natural disaster. There's only like, there's natural hazards. But disasters are all man-made, and and the the argument there is that it's man-made because it's it's the built environment that really is is what we're, what we're causing the disaster, right? And because if you think about it this way, if this was a, a wildfire in the middle of Yellowstone, yeah, nowhere, right? Um, yeah, I mean there might be damage or smoke, things in the environment, things like this, but it's not really a disaster; it's a natural phenomenon that actually has to happen uh, to clear out the underbrush right i mean that's the fire is a natural thing that happens um in in the forest right we just happen to build a host in the middle of it and um then it's uh you know then it, then when that burns down then it's, then it's a crisis which I, I i i agree you know i, I i'm just as guilty i live on the wooey you know mm. so i mean i don't know tell that to australia i mean they what was it um like six or seven times the state of new york burned in that fire I mean, it's just wild to think about, like the just size of that. Um, right, but think about this: the 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 homes that burnt down on that that huge swath of fire, the homes that burnt down, and the human death was very low, right? Absolutely, because very low. It didn't impact because it's very not a built environment. Now we had this tragedy for the animals, you know, like little koala bears that they are they they are sort you know yeah, rescuing absolutely, and. Yeah, this trip is terrible. I'm not saying it's bad. I don't say it's not bad. Well, my, saying, my yeah, 
my analogy is the same. My my analogy, I, I actually use a hurricane. A hurricane in the ocean, nobody cares about. Like, it's not going to really impact a lot of things. You can, you can move ships around them, hopefully. doesn't yeah. impact a lot. It, it's not a big problem until it hits land, and then land, really, it's, it's a problem for everybody else. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of truths in that. Like, hazard, that's why I like, I, that's why I like think of disaster tough as being tough enough to be able to deal with the hazards. Some people think as disaster tough as like you're having a tough day or tough luck or, you know, preparedness even. But for me, it means mitigating everything because, you know, you don't want to, I don't want to bounce back. I just don't want to have to have the the problem, you know, that's what it means to me. That's, that's kind of the premise behind the show, right? No, absolutely. And, and I agree with that premise. And, and you, you and I have talked a lot about this a lot, right? And the idea of, uh, resiliency versus at the fragility and, and, and what that really means and what, what and fertility and fertility. I'm just kidding. Ew. Uh, yeah. So, um, but you know, and the idea, and then the other side of it though, is what's the difference between preparedness and readiness. Right. And, and, and these, a lot of people say, Oh, it's the same or the words don't matter, but they do. Right. Words and, matter. And, and they do matter because it, 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 it sets that tone of what you want to do. Right. And so I think that we need to, as I think readiness and, and creating an anti-fragile, re, you know, organization or community or disaster tough community is what we really need to be striving for as emergency managers, as practitioners, you know, um, it, 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 think about the fire department, right? The fire department was building codes and, and whatnot pretty much put themselves out of the job of fighting fires in, in, in structures these days. Right. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, there was, there was a fire, um, at the studio, uh, at the city radio studios and the fire was out by the time the fire department got there, their job was pretty much just mopping up and making sure it didn't spread. I mean, they had, they did a good job, right. But it was pretty much contained to the one room where the fire was, um, the sprinkler system turned on to this job. Um, and, uh, it was more water damage than it was fire damage, right? I actually remember so, when you text me all those pictures and you're like, there's a fire. And like, you got up to the studio when the fire alarm was going off and everyone's like, just like waiting. And you're like, isn't that a fire alarm? Shouldn't we get out of here? <laughs> That's so crazy, man. <laughs> so, so, but my point about it though is, is not that we, yeah, humans are knuckleheads for the most part. So, you know, we hear the fire alarm go off, we don't leave. But the fire department's job was pretty much done for it by the sprinkler system, right? Yeah. You know, um, if that was 20, 30 years ago, um, you know, there would have been fire burning from the sea. Now, not to say it doesn't happen. We've seen this happen time and time again, you know. But realistically, they do mostly uh, EMS response now, right? Mm. I, I don't know what the statistics are, you know. Now, wildland fire is a whole different story, guys. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the fact that, you know, your structural fire right and now with new construction going on in single family homes they're putting sprinkler systems in them. you know so I mean which is great right um, you know so you're seeing less and less of, of, of single family homes uh, burning down now uh, which is which is awesome but at the end of the day fire has moved their their, their uh, focus from necessarily firefighting uh, and fire prevention which is still key but to, to EMS so maybe as, as emergency managers, if we can move away from managing the large scale disaster 
right? If that's something that, that we, if we can make everybody disaster tough, if you will, right? Can we manage that? Can we do other things like mitigation issues and making things stronger and better? And I think that's one of the things that we could do uh, to improve as a, as a discipline. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love that statement. Hey, let's make everybody disaster tough. Like that's you nailed it. By the way, um, let's just talk about the things that you have teased so far. That um, you've teased after action reviews, which is something that we're working on. You you've teased anti fragile, which is I know a specific, very specific project that you're working on. You've teased um, updating the field. You've you've teased the podcast with all within the last two minutes. By the way. Um, and you teased something else. Oh, you teased, um, um, you teased the, the work in general, uh, and, uh, you teased podcasting. So I think it's time to tell some people an announcement or two, because this is pretty exciting. And then we're going to get one, one very serious point at the end. I'm going to ask you a question. What about uh, readiness? Oh, that's what it is. Readiness. Yeah. So you, you nailed that one. So, uh, how do we want to do this? I'm going to let you, I'm going to announce one part of it and then I'll let you, actually, no, I'm, how do I want to do this? I want you to announce it. Yeah. We'll go from there and then I'll, I'll build off the top of it. Well, which part? I know this is exciting. There's lots of parts. Everyone's like, what are they talking about? How about <laughs> we talk about, um, talk about the lab first. Let's talk about the lab second. Let's talk about okay. what you just signed. Oh. Where are you going, Todd? What are you doing? Well, there's a couple of documents I just signed today <clears throat> and uh, uh, formalized an agreement relationship, if you will. Uh, like I was telling John earlier, I felt like I was, we're going through prenups. Um, so uh, Ian Weekly and, uh, and Disaster Tough and Doberman um, have uh, formally uh, combined forces and uh, – yeah, that's what we're doing. And so we are now one big, happy, happy family. Uh, although John did not walk me down the aisle. <laughs> no, I have, a, I have a wife. I love her dearly. Mine too. Family of wife. one. Family of one wife. <laughs> oh, you have, <laughs> you, have a, you have a child. I have two <laughs> kids. I had to clarify that. What that meant. Yes, Todd DeVoe. So yeah. our, our business is Doberman Emergency <laughs> Management. Todd DeVoe is officially joining Doberman Emergency Management, and uh, he's going to be leading our West Coast operations, and so we're really excited about that. Um, as I've alluded to several times on the show, talked about, we're moving to St. Louis. Our company's moving there, but we have a lot of good things, and we have good people, even better people now with, uh, with Todd joining us, or at least a, a larger uh, grasp on good, good people to be with us, and so... Very excited for Todd. Todd, congratulations. In fact, I'll, I'll, I'll be the audience here for you real quick. Uh, nope, not that one. No, there we go. There we go. Yeah, everyone's cheering for you right now. I'm really glad to have you part of our team. Todd's going to be one of our advisors, and so um, I'm the owner of the company. We've been doing this for a while. We, we are emergency managers exclusive, and we work with emergency managers People who are very experienced. Todd is obviously very experienced in emergency management. He's actually first responder, uh, former military, and now is in emergency management and actually teaches emergency management, let alone leading his own podcast and brand. And so really excited to have you on board, Todd. So as, as Todd mentioned, um, that leads us into the other thing. Okay, now that we have 
EM week. Let's let's go down the list of what you brought over. EM weekly podcast, EM weekly webinar series, EM student podcast. Which, um, if you're newer to emergency management, definitely want to tune in there. Um, yeah, there's a great series going on. I want to talk about EM student for a second. Yeah, yeah, please do. Things. Yeah, but um, uh, Franzi economy, Francisco, Francisco, Franziska, Franziska, Franziska economy. Yeah, she is amazing. First of all, but. Um, she's doing a, a series right now um, for the summertime. It's a seven, maybe eight part series uh, on, on various different interviews. And she's coming from the pure uh, side of, of curiosity of what emergency management is and what you can do with it. And she's really working hard on that. And then uh, uh, Dan Scott, um, who you may know if you guys watched Ian Weekly, and he's also been um, Which you should. student as well. Um, yeah, he's, he's uh, been leading EM student for a while. He's actually working on uh, two areas. One is the core competencies of emergency management. What does that mean? And bringing in the people who have actually written the core competencies for FEMA um, are going to be discussing that and how we can bolster um, the profession of emergency management and what are the core competencies and why are they those core competencies uh, uh, where we're at. So I think those two series right now I'm excited about. Um, I, I, I don't have any previews on them. I've been doing some editing for them, but... That's about it, and uh, so I can't wait for they come out as, as well. You know, and, and speaking of Dan and Franzi, and even John, he's got a guy who walks behind that works behind the scenes. I'm, you know, I've, I've met all. Of them. Um, I'm very excited that uh, they were associated with Todd, and, and now they're going to be associated with Doberman in this aspect on EM Weekly. Um, you know, material and um, yeah, highly impressed. Especially, well, all, all three of them are, are very impressive. But as you noted, Franzi. I mean, she is newer to emergency management, but she's doing everything right as, as you as you'd want to do with a person who's getting into our field. And so, um, I'm excited to to listen to to what their materials and Dan provides another great experience. He also works at uh, universities, so like, it's just a great team that you guys brought over. And um, happy to, to be on it. Dan's finishing his PhD um, in emergency mm. management and leadership, for, and. Uh, I got to tell the Franzi story though, and I'm probably going to embarrass her a little bit, but I think it's important. So she reached out to me. This is a powerful, this is the power of networking. She reached out to me on LinkedIn and says, Hey, I want to learn about emergency management. Um, so she, she shoots me a direct message and says, Hey, this is what I want to do. I said, sure. Absolutely. Let's set up a meeting. Um, we got on, uh, on a zoom call, well, Google meets or whatever. We got on a call. Um, we, we talked for, for a bit. And I said, hey, look, I'm teaching an emergency measure program at UCI. You should get involved with it, right? Take, take the courses. And so she said, okay. So she registered for the class. And she's going to finish. Actually, this is her last class this semester. And she'll have her certificate in emergency mm. management. She has her she has a degree. Her last name is Economy. And she has a degree in economics. That's um, awesome. That's like the that greatest thing ever. Yeah. Absolutely. And she brings, <laughs> first of all, it's a cool name. And second of all, the disaster economics is really something I'm very interested in. Uh, you guys can't see. Well, you can right there. There's a uh, next to the Duckhead. There's an economics book sitting right there. Two of them, three of them. Uh, economics is very, but I, I find very fascinating, especially disaster economics and what that really means and how to recover from disasters and things like this. So she brings that perspective, um, and she's very, very methodical in, in her thinking, her thought process. And um, yeah, so she looked out, looked and trying to see what this is all about, and uh, I think she likes it. You know. Uh, you can ask her. Uh, I actually know she her. likes it because something you don't know that I was going to tell you a little bit later, but it's fun to tell you now. Um, we were going to wait to tell you. In fact, she hasn't technically signed it yet, but she gave us the verbal this afternoon that we are actually hiring her to do some of that stuff for us. So she will actually be working 
on some of the, we're calling her an emergency management analyst because I'm a data guy with a data background. She has definitely data background and and an analyst background. And I was like, oh, this is going to help out Doberman a lot. Um, And so we're even able to bring into that, that atmosphere more about data and technology and into our offerings. And um, man, talk about an awesome person. So kudos to, oh wait, wrong. Uh, Kudos to you again, Todd. For uh, for identifying her as a great talent, and, and we totally agree. So, but we we have to we have to name your last one, very important one with Speak and Spark, the EM Speaks webinar series that comes out every quarter. Really cool stuff. They identify, uh, you know, th- basically thought leaders to come on and and to uh, to be interviewed. It's kind of more like an NPR style kind of stuff. And so, um, the the company. Uh, and Holly and her company is Speak and Spark. So definitely big fans of them. So they identify some of those people. And EM Weekly have combined forces on that webinar. It's called EM Speaks. Um, and so the way our listeners, if you're listening to the podcast right now, and you're like, oh my gosh, you just need like three or four different things. Um, how do I find it? Well, the other part of the, the announcement is Doberman Emergency Management in collaboration with our, our new friends here from the EM Weekly on podcast and some of the other friends that we haven't talked about yet, we're creating something called the readiness lab. The readiness lab will be the readiness lab.com. We'll put it in our show notes. It's going to launch here in the next couple of weeks. Um, what that's going to have, it's going to house all of our content on there for all of our different shows. You can check out any show you want. Uh, you check out e- EM weekly. Obviously Todd is a, it's a great speaker himself. And so he has a lot of insight um, that you can use, but you can go there, check that out. And then, in the future, as we get into other things like training and certificates um, and maybe even conferences and working with different partners, different groups, or as our podcasts are growing, if, you're, if you have an EM podcast or emergency services podcast and you're listening, hey, uh, reach out to us. We might even, uh, you know, uh, showcase you on our, our lab. So uh, the readiness lab, big, uh, big fun stuff that's happening. So we just went from on the disaster tough side um, Doberman side, one podcast to in September, I think it'll be eight, um, which is really exciting, including another one that we can tease right now. Man, it's like all about announcement. Arr. Now. Yeah, R. Movie R. Uh, so, Movie R is Movie After Action Review. Todd, you want to give us a, a preview? Absolutely. And I, I have to give some credit where credit's due. And Charles Lane, um, Chuck Lane, he is is awesome guy. He had a, a, a podcast that I'm kind of sad that went away. I'd, I'd like to bring it back if he if he wants to do it. You could be on our readiness lab. Absolutely, so state of emergency, and he had me on on a on a Halloween uh, episode, and so we basically spun the wheel of death, and off this thing came the idea of of how do you respond to um, the state puff marshmallow man exploding in New York City from. Uh, from um, Ghostbusters, right? And I thought that was brilliant, and I've been wanting to do this for a long time. I told John the story. He's like, oh, we got to do it. So now what we're going to be doing is looking at movies, not necessarily disaster movies, but movies that have a disaster image or thing to it, like the State Puff Marshall Men exploding, and we're going to break it down, and we're going to take a look at it and say what's real, what's not real, and uh, what would you do in that situation? And we're going to have a lot of fun with it. Um, and at the end of the day, we'll talk about some serious stuff too, but it's about having a little fun, uh, with our profession. Yeah. I'm really excited for it. In fact, our third host on that show. So it'll be Todd, myself, 
and another individual. He's actually been on this show twice, Patrick McGinn. He's a lot of fun. And so the three of us looking at it from the different perspectives of the nonprofit world from, uh, you know, his, Patrick's world to first responder, you know, Todd's up kind of his background there and my background, like that strategic level, you know, federal level. And so all of us are emergency managers. All of us also have a different background and perspective and we like to have fun. We can poke fun at it a little bit because it's what we do for a living. So, um, when that comes out, we'll probably get Patrick on the show and the three of us will talk a little more about it then. But uh, a lot of things are happening together. It's all coming together. We've been working on this, uh, I think, since March, right? Which is kind of fun. Even before that, I think, when I when I talked with you in December, I kind of put it in my head. I was like, oh, I want to work with Todd. So how are we going to make this work? So you're looking at potentially seven months here that we've been kind of working the kinks out on this, and it's coming together. I'm really excited. And, um, yeah, we can, we can stay tuned for more from the Readiness Lab. Okay, America. so America. Okay, so I'm going to ask you. Speaking of America, it's our July 4th episode. This is a really serious yep. question, but um, you know, I want your honest feelings on it, and I, I might share my feelings on too. There's a lot of there's a lot of problems in our, our in in the United States that are being addressed right now. Some are real concerns, and some don't feel like real concerns based off of the party who you talk to, right? But um, what I find fascinating is the flag is used on pretty much every angle, whether you're for or against, whether you are for one um, topic or you're from from an opposite viewpoint. I'm I'm one of those who I'm pretty hardcore in the thinking that what happened on January 6th was despicable. They are carrying the mag, uh, the American flag, but the riots in the summer over you know. Um, over protests. They were also carrying the flag. Two totally opposite perspectives carrying the flag. But the flag means something. And it should mean something. And so outside of political use, as you as a, as a veteran, as you as a first responder, as you as an emergency manager, as, as an American, what does, the American, what does the American flag mean to you? Wow, that's a, that's a deep, deep-rooted question. And I first have to state that I do not belong to any political party. Um, I, I actually believe that the political parties are bad for America. I just want to take that out. So did George Washington, uh, by the way. He did. Yeah, so did. I agree. George Washington. I'm a George Washingtonist, which would make me a politically affiliated, which ruins the thought process. Anyways, back yeah. to being serious. So, yeah. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't subscribe to the party politics. Um, you know, again, like I said, they, I, I really truly believe that that, that it ruins. Um, anyway. Discussion, so, yeah. that. But let's talk about the American flag. So, first of all, the American flag does mean for something. And, you know, for all those people who, I'm going to stand on my soapbox for a minute here, for all those people that say, oh, when you burn the American flag, you're just burning a piece of cloth, it's whatever, whatever. First, you know, and absolutely, you know, it's your, your First Amendment right to burn that flag. And I'll say this, but the symbolism of what you're doing, right, isn't just burning the piece of cloth. You know that, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. You're trying to incite anger or, or, or a message that you're putting across with something and that's why you burn it, you stand on it, you poop on it, pee on it, just you make it, you know, disgrace it. You ha- you're having people today that say that we need to change our flag because it stands for something that it doesn't stand for and that others have picked it up and, and, and the banners of racism and all these other things. The flag has meaning. You should learn what it means. You know, we, we used to have a day. What was the day still there? 
June 14th, I believe it is, is Flag Day, right? Where when I was a kid, we used to have a, a day where we'd do flag stuff, right? And we were still in school in July 14th, or June 14th. You know, the day we would honor the flag and talk about the flag and what it means and the, the fact that the white means, the, you know, the, the purity, the, the red is the blood that has been spilled, the blue is the field that we're on, and the stars obviously stand for our state, right? And the states stand for all the states that are here and all the people that are inside of them. It doesn't mean that they're white in the sense of the race of anybody. Um, it, it really burns me to, to hear people say we should change our flag. Um, that it doesn't stand for, for America, and it does. Because if it didn't stand for America, if it didn't stand for what you say it did, you wouldn't be burning those. You wouldn't see the Iranians burning it. You wouldn't see Hezbollah burning it and stepping on it and spitting on it and doing one of the things they do to it. Right? Um, I, you know, I now, I honestly believe that if you feel that you need to do that and you want to stand in the public square and you have the right to do so and if you purchase that flag, you didn't steal from somebody, and if you want to burn that flag, do it. Right? I don't agree with you. I don't agree with that, the fact that you're doing it, but you have the right to do it, and I defend your right to do that, right? But understanding that you do it for a purpose, that's not just a piece of cloth. That has meaning and has symbolism. We drive, we put that flag on top of those who died for our country, right? Those served, whether it's first responders and whether it's military veterans, you know, um, we raise that, we lower that flag to half mass when in the honor of people who served our country. Right when they have died, or for those that have been, you know, uh, grievously killed and you know with, with with like mass murders and whatnot. Right, there's a reason why we will lower the flag in the in their honor, and that flag does mean something. Right, and this Fourth of July, you'll see the American flag flying, which is why high. You know, um, it's not a symbolism of racism, and you can't make it that way, and I won't allow you to make it that way. Yeah, the. That's um that's a powerful statement, right? Um, the way I feel about the American flag is that I'm sad when those who disgrace the country wave the American flag. I think the reason why some people don't associate the American flag with the symbolism that it that it does represent is because you see hate groups using it. You know. Um, I can understand from the perspective of like, I don't know if I can trust that symbolism because one, they don't know the history behind it, but they also just, they see the hate group. And so like I get, I actually get infuriated with like, like you are not, you're not acting like an American. You're not acting like a, a person that I, I want to be associated with. And just so don't carry that flag. Cause that flag to me means, I mean, it means everything, right? It means, uh, doing better it means not b recognizing you're not perfect but you want to do better like the the Amer it's called the american experiment for a reason like they knew that they would always have to build on the constitution they always knew that they would have to um, do good things if they laid a strong foundation and that foundation is represented in the american flag that people should be free that they should have the ability to choose their leaders that they should um, that there we're all part of this, that there's been people that have given their lives for this and we need to respect them and, and honor them. And, um, the, the symbolism of the, just showing that we, you know, other flags don't show all their provinces on their flag, right? We show every state on the flag for a reason because we're, we're all in the same fight. 
And I think when we start segre- segregating ourselves, we start separating and we try start looking for ways to say like, I could be offended by that, even though you didn't mean to offend me. Um, when we start doing all those things and deteriorating what it means, um, you have a real problem. The American flag is the symbol of hope for America. And so if you burn the symbol of hope, then you are, you're essentially giving up on trying to, to be a part of this. You want to be something else and something else is scary. We see scary all over the world. We don't want to be like that. So on, on our July 4th episode, I just want, you know, Hey, there's two, at least two guys out there who still remember what the, the symbolism means. And, uh, we, we respect everybody else's decision. Actually, I don't really respect their decision. Not at all. But I recognize that it's it's protected, and I respect the flag because of it. I respect the Constitution because of it. So thanks for sharing your thoughts on the flag, and um, it's kind of a Debbie Downer way to end the show. But, hey, um, <laughs> it's... That wasn't a, Debbie Downer. Yeah, it, yeah it, was a, it was an important way to, you know, remember, hey, like, I'm proud. I'm I'm really proud to be an American. Like, there's a lot of stuff out there that makes me like think like, oh, you shouldn't be proud to be American. I'm very proud of my country. I'm very proud of our history because our history shows people can change. Our history shows now, people can improve. I want to say one more thing about uh, about this, and because you and I have both traveled outside the United States, right? Yeah. And and I I've traveled throughout Asia. I've been to Australia. I've been to the Middle East. I've been to Africa. Um. You know, and as you go there and people talk to us as Americans, they they are always want to know what it's like to be in the United States and that they dream one day to go. Now, do they agree with some of our policies? Probably not. Do they agree with our politics? Probably not. But the idea is that what I mean by politics is the way we, we do things. We handle things, yeah. Right. Um, but the, the idea is, is that we're a place worldwide that is known where you can come and you can better yourself, right? And even our poorest of poor, maybe not the homeless, right? Because that's a, that's a different, whole different issue. But the poorest of poor, those that, 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 that are, are minimum wage, you know, earners, those that are struggling at every day are a hundred times richer than the poorest of poor in other countries and I've been in the developing nation where, I mean, they're literally living in dirt. Right. And we, I mean, I built a school uh, or helped build a school. I wasn't the only one building it. You know, a team of us. I, like, built, oh, a school. I built a school. No, the, the, you know, we, the United States Navy uh, and Marine Corps team uh, built a school um, in, in uh, Malaysia and, uh, um, you know, going to that project uh, that, that uh, they were so grateful right? The kids are so grateful because we're building a school and it was really much, much more than, you know, some wooden walls and it wasn't, it wasn't a school the way we think of a school here. It was pretty much a one room. Uh, we did put some beds down the ground. The, yeah. The, the one, the one problem I have, cause I've seen the same thing, right? Not just like, just nothing. The problem is as a kid who grew up super poor in the U S Stress is real. And so we have a lack of gratitude problem. We, Yeah, we have a problem with a lack of gratitude, right? We need to be grateful for all the opportunities and, and things that we have. And a hundred times, a million times better than other places. And anyone in the United States, there's a lot of BS out there. Anyone in the United States has 
so much more opportunity and so many other people at other places. And we should be grateful for that. Does it mean it's perfect? No. Does it mean we should improve it? Probably. But we need to be grateful for it. But at the same time, those who are are listening to this show and they're like, I'm, I'm, I'm worried I'm not going to be make, be able to make my rent. I don't know if I'm going to be able to buy gas. I don't know if I can buy food. You know, stress is real. And so our call out, our always our call out on the show is, um, mental first aid is real and you should, you should get it and you should talk to people and you should make a plan. Planning will help. And from a guy who's kind of been there, um, it took forever, but you know, now we're, we're kind of in a place where we can be, you know, it took a lot of, a lot of grinding, but you know, we're in a stable situation. So I don't know. There's, there's that call out too, but like, that's the American perspective, right? Show a lot of gratitude. Remember what the flag means. I think that's basically what you and I were both saying. Have gratitude for what this this uh, this nation has done for people, what it does for us. The, the symbol of the country is the flag. And, uh, you know, move on. Be, be, be better. Be, be a good person. Help other people around you. One other thing, too, and this is my last piece of advice before, uh, just, just in life. <clears throat> you know, I'm a, I, I think I, I'm older than I looked before I was surprised by all day. Um, but the idea here is surround yourself with people that care, right? Um, you, you know, I, I do. Um, I think it's one of the reasons why, why, why John and I get, get along. Um, you, you know, it, it, you, you have to care. I, I think those of us that are in this business, right? You're listening to, 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 to this podcast because you are in this business. And I think most of us, can't say all, right? Now we're going to paint it with that broad brush. But I'd say most of us uh, care, right? That's why we got into this. That's why we became first responders. That's why we became emergency managers. And it's because we don't like to see human suffering, right? And I think at the end of the day, we have to take that into consideration and, and what we can do to help stop human suffering. And I think that's what that flag stands for, too, is the ability to for us to stop human suffering the best that we can. And it's not perfect. It never will be perfect. Right, we're all human. We're all fallible, right? Um, so, but we can strive and to work hard. We can put our best foot effort, and you know, I think that uh, you know Canada gets the, uh, uh, the the reputation of being all the kind, cool people, which they are, right? But I think at the end of the day, when you see us and when disasters occur, I've seen it firsthand. I've seen people come out to help. People come out to help and care, and they come out with the hug, and they come out and they cry with other people who's lost. You know, and we've seen it today in Miami uh, with people coming from across the United States and the world to, to help um, with with that, um, with the response to that. And I think as much as we think that we're inside a bubble and that, that no one else matters, um, when at the end of the day our communities matter, right? And at the end of the day, we do this because people matter. And I think at the end of the day, as emergency managers, we do this because we all have that soft spot in our heart and we're caring. Otherwise, we could be making millions of dollars, you know, making microchips somewhere and buying other people's Facebook. Sorry. <laughs> well, uh, I think that's a good note to end on. I really do. Like, full circle. Now we, we, we brought it back to Surfside. We talked about we talked about the iPad. You ended up with the, the microchips. So it's great. So... Everyone, uh, hopefully you got some good things out of the show. Hopefully you're excited about the the Readiness Lab and with EM Weekly, the brand. Um, definitely check it out. Some really good content there. If you like the show, as always, you got to give us that five-star rating and subscribe. We we appreciate the scribes. Yes, the big five. Um, 
Hey, check out our YouTube uh, channel sometime. Check out our Instagram, Disaster Tough. Check out our business, Doberman Emergency Management. We'd love to be able to help you out. And we'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.